That's right. It's another drinking episode. Joker. <laughs> 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 All right. I was about to go. Okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. You no, gotta no. Start, hold that. You gotta turn that octopus staring at me. No, that's gonna be one of our recording buddies. I was gonna put him on the table. Yeah, but he's staring at me. You're fine. He's blind. He can't even see you. It's a lie. Well, I mean, he's made out of like brass, so you don't know that. Might I might know? There it is. There Welcome it is. Welcome to uh, <laughs> episode fifty-two. <laughs> I'm Christina. I'm Amanda. You gotta move it. For real. You're being <laughs> dramatic. I'm not getting up to move that octopus right now. He's fucking staring He's at a me. fucking bank. Get over it. <laughs> He's a fucking piggy bank. What's his name? I don't know. Roger? That's, there's a lot of things in here we need to name. I got my little statuette up there for drawing. I'm not sure why I went with Roger. But... It can be, he can be Roger. Like the Jolly Roger. I should get him an eye patch. And then we're the Kraken. No, Roger. he's not a squid. He's not a squid. He's an octopi. <laughs> he's an octopi. A brass octopi. So, as you could tell by our intro, we're drinking today. Yes, we and are. I have this fancy ass, what flute glass mm-hmm. of apple pie. Thank you, Christopher. Yes, Amanda's man lover. Oh, oh, <laughs> lava! Don't drink it when you know you're gonna laugh. <laughs> it burns my nerves. Yeah, it's because it's, it's quite strong. It's got the cinnamon in it. It also has the Everclear in it. Cinnamon. <laughs> Better not start acting drunk already. I would. We haven't even started. <laughs> I would never. I had a okay. Long Island last night when we went and got quesadillas, quesodillos. And, um, Tracy, <laughs> I stood up and I, like, almost fell over and Tracy's like, you're right there, Gert. <laughs> she calls everybody Gert. And I was like, I know, I might be a little bit drunk. And she's like, what are you, your mom now? And I'm like, she's, yes. She's turned to Giggles McGee Linda. I'm turning into Linda. And then, yeah, so that was... That was her Valentine's Sorry, Day. Fun. That was my Valentine's with my Tracy. We went to a terrible movie, Don't Go See Fantasy Island. And then we got quesadillas. And then we watched Paranormal Survivor on Netflix until we fell asleep. How was your Valentine? It was good. We went to dinner. He got you flowers. He did. He sent them to my work. Oh, he's such a romantic. But. He sends me flowers to my work like once a month. Oh, does he? He does. You get the regular dick and you get the regular flowers. I don't even want to hear it. Do you get like abnormal dick Not and abnormal flowers? Not bill approved. <laughs> you get the regular dick <laughs> as opposed to <laughs> elephantitis dick. The non-dick of which I received. <laughs> my pinky. <laughs> He's. You gotta be gentle with that man. It's attached to my mic. Every time you do it, it goes. Oh, sorry, man. Let me put it on here. It's probably better. Yeah, that's. Oh no. Well, I maybe just set it down. Stop drinking it right for a little bit. 
Maybe just leave it, leave it be for a smidge. <laughs> maybe just, maybe not drink at all in two minutes. That'd be great because we have to do two episodes, not one. Because <laughs> he's getting all rosy and want to take another nap. Mm. That's what we just woke up from. We did. It was glorious. So the original plan was we were going to get together. We were going to do a facial today. And then we were going to do... We we're doing a facial because Amanda sells Mary Kay. That is correct. So if you want to buy it from Amanda because she's cool, <laughs> let her know. Hashtag okay. plug. Okay. Hashtag not sponsored. Okay. So <laughs> we were going to do that. And then we were going to record right away, right? Yeah. Wrong. Wrong. We took a nap instead because we no, got Chipotle. We were wrong. We were going to eat and then record. Yeah. So we got Chipotle and we did that because food's important. And then mm -hmm. we got done eating and we were both sitting on the couch all fat and sassy. And I looked at her and I'm like, what if we just like didn't record right now? <laughs> and I was like, and then like instead we took a nap <laughs> yep so we're not being social and going out tonight because we decided to take a nap instead yeah and so we're gonna record and eat pizza and watch scary things when probably. we're probably probably and i mean it's already it's 5 30 but we'll it'll be seven by the time we're done ish probably later than Eight. that but yes but it's gonna be a good time it'll so be nice with that nice. being said I got a long story, so... You want to start that? Should we strap in? Probably. Okay. Let's do it. Get out your buckles, kids. Fucking strap in. You're going to like this story. It's moments like that when I'm like, I wish we had like a sound effect or something. Like buckling our seatbelt on the ride. make our own sound effects, remember? So now's the time. <laughs> what are you a race car now <laughs> oh we're not being race cars <laughs> i thought we were strapping in for a roller coaster what there you go pause ah! <laughs> oh, this could be so hot in the microphone. <laughs> okay tell me your story Focus. okay that's the last laughing you'll do the rest of this time I tell you no this more story. laughing today it's just, it's just a Sad, sad story that I'm about to tell you. All right. You're going to be so mad by the We end did of this. not touch base, hopefully. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. What? It's not the same. What? Well, I mean, it's not the same, but. Okay. So, starting. This is the first time that I've ever done this. Normally, I pull from like multiple sources. I'll watch YouTube, I'll watch documentaries, I'll pull from Google. Um, this story all comes from one source, mm -hmm. mainly because as I was pulling from all the different sources it all kept coming back to this article okay as being like the main source for it so i was like i'm just gonna pull this article and i have to tell you that it's probably the most beautiful written true crime article i've ever read what article is it it is called so this is my a lot of this comes directly from that article um i'll tell you when i'm like reading directly from it instead of like in my own words right. but um, it is all from a 2015 article by ProPublica or Publica and the Marshall Project, and it's titled An Unbelievable Story of Rape. Oh, well. it's a Pul Pulitzer Prize winning story um, that was written by reporters T. Christian Miller and Ken Armstrong. And um, it tells the story and the details of a woman who is referred to only as her middle name, which is Marie who was charged with the filing of a false rape after recanting a claim that she had been raped at knife point in her apartment. Okay. 
So my intro for this is directly word from word from the article, mainly because the first sentence hurt my heart so much. And it kind of sums up the whole story. And then I'm going to go back kind of in my own words in through the timeline of the article and tell you exactly what happened. Okay. Okay. So this first part is like the direct intro to the actual article. Um, and it's it starts with, no one came to court with her that day, except for her public defender. She was 18 years old, charged with a gross misdemeanor, punishable by up to a year in jail. Rarely do misdemeanors draw notice. Her case was one of 4,859 filed in 2008 in Lidwood Municipal Court, a place where the judge says the goal is to correct behavior, to make Linwood a better, safer, healthier place to live, work, shop, and visit. But her misdemeanor had made the news and made her an object of curiosity, or worse, scorn. It had cost her the newfound independence that she was savoring after a life in foster homes. It had cost her sense of worth. Each ring of the phone seemed to announce another friendship lost. A friend from 10th grade called to ask, How could you lie about something like that, Marie? That's her middle name. Marie didn't say anything. She just listened, then hung up. Even her foster parents now doubted her. She doubted herself, wondering if there was something in her that needed to be fixed. She had reported being raped in her apartment by a man who had been bound and who had bound and gagged her. Then, confronted by police with inconsistencies in her story, she had conceded it might have been a dream. Then she admitted making the story up. One TV new newscast announced a Western Washington woman has confessed that she cried wolf when it came to her rape, she reported earlier this week. She had been charged with filing a false report, which is why she was here today, to accept a turn down or ex to accept or turn down a plea deal. Her lawyer was surprised she had been charged. Her story hadn't hurt anyone. No suspects had been arrested or even questioned. His guess was the police felt used. They don't appreciate having their time wasted. The prosecution's offer was this. If she met certain conditions for the next year, the charge would be dropped. She would ne need to get mental health counseling for her lying. She would need to go to a supervised probation. She would need to keep straight, breaking no more laws, and she would have to pay $500 to cover the court's cost. Marie wanted this behind her, so she took the deal. Okay. Okay. So, we're going into... That's the start of the article. Um, this has also been adapted into a series on Netflix. It's a mini-series called Unbelievable. And I haven't watched it yet, not because I didn't want to, but because I didn't want anything in it to... Well, a lot of them are very biased. Well, not even that they're biased, but they sometimes they do things for like dramatic effect, and I didn't right. want to like get that confused with the true story. So I plan on watching it because it looked really good in like the preview, and that's what caught my eye and made me go, "Hmm, I wonder," because it said based on a true story, and I was like, "Hmm, I wonder what this is," and that's kind of how I found it. Okay. Um, but I haven't watched it yet because I didn't want it to color any of the like and give the dramatic, dramatized version Dramatized. instead of like the true story. So, I would recommend checking that out. I'll, when I watch it, I'll let you know. Uh, so, her early life. She had a troubled early life. Um, she was grew up in foster care. She didn't know, she doesn't, and no one knows if she ever even attended kindergarten. Her earliest memory is being hungry and eating dog food. Uh, the records from the state show she entered foster care sometimes between the ages of six and seven, and no one really knows what happened to her before then. Oh, Wow. Uh, she doesn't remember, she does not know or remember her biological parents, only remembers that her mother left her in the care of boyfriends, that she was regularly sexually and mentally abused. Uh, 
She moved constantly as a child. There was no consistency. She was in and out of foster homes in a minimum of 10 to 11 plus group homes in between. Oh, my God. She had two brothers and a sister from her mother that she would sometimes be homed with, but for the most part, she was moved around a lot by herself. She was also on seven different drugs to treat her for depression, anxiety. One of them was Zoloft, which is an adult drug that she was prescribed at the age of eight. Oh, my God. Uh... Most of the time, she was never told or there was no explanation given as to why she was moved. She just was moved. Uh, She became a teenager. Her years... um, But when she became a teenager, uh, her foster family was going to adopt her. Okay. She stated in the article, I really loved a family. That family, I had made a lot of friends. Uh, But the first day of the school year of high school, um, she was in school... A support counselor came to the school, told Marie that the family had lost its foster care license. That's all she was told. She couldn't live with them anymore. And she had 20 minutes to pack her stuff and go. And didn't get to say goodbye to that family. Stability was not a thing. No. Ever. Um, Until something more permanent could be found for her, she moved in with Shannon McQuarrie and her husband in Bellevue, which was east of Seattle, Washington. Uh, She was a real estate agent and a longtime foster mom. Uh, She had actually met Marie before between, like, foster home group meetings and stuff like that. Um, Shannon and her actually got along really great. They kind of became, like, best friends, but, like, mother-daughter friends kind of thing. Um, She was described as goofy and fun-loving despite all she had been through. She wasn't bitter. Uh, She even kept in touch with some of the previous foster families. She could carry a conversation with adults. Uh, She would go to school. She did well in school. So she she wasn't, like, a problem child at all. Right. She was pretty well adjusted Mm -hmm. for such a sporadic life. Right. But unfortunately for due to... They they had already taken in another foster child who was much more demanding. And they didn't feel that it was a good environment for Marie to be in. Okay. They moved her. um, But she was able to keep in close contact with Shannon. And she moved close to Shannon. So they were still, like, able to contact every day and see each other. Um, and she moved in with Peggy Cunningham, who had worked as a child advocate at a homeless shelter and lived in Linwood, Washington, about 15 miles north of Seattle. She was Peggy's first foster child. And Peggy was actually all set up to have a baby because that's what she had registered for. And they said because she had worked in a child's advocate and stuff like that, they thought that Marie would be a good fit and they just moved her in. Okay. So, um, at first... Marie didn't want to live with Peggy. They were used to being around other kids. Peggy didn't have any. Marie liked dog. Peggy had cats. The personalities didn't really mesh well. Mm-hmm. Um, and Peggy had received a file like three inches thick because she had been moved so often right. on her. Um, but she was surprised at how well Marie had was coping. Um, and that was really their only contention is that they just, their personalities didn't clash. Right. But the good thing was, is that Peggy and Shannon would talk to. So it was kind of like they were co-parenting her. That's good. Yeah. Um, Peggy described her as being very bubbly and full of energy. Um, they were also like, Peggy was the, Peggy had to be the disciplinarian because she was the parent that she was living with. So, but Shannon could then go, let's go shopping, let's go blah. And then Peggy would have to go, well, let's be home by this time. And so there was kind of, that was the, I think the contention too. Right. It was Peggy under, they under, the two parents like understood that. So it was kind of like a good, she had fallen into a good spot. Okay. Um, 
even Peggy even recognized that the high school that Marie was in was not working for her because it was very clicky, very like uppity, like mm-hmm. she just wasn't making friends. And Peggy was very bubbly and a very like happy go lucky person, so she should make friends easily. So that she, Peggy even pulled her from that high school and said, "Well, let's find you a different school then," and like got her set up in another school. And like, okay, she kind of turned around then, and they kind of their relationship kind of blossomed. But instead of she had met a boyfriend or a guy named Jordan, and they be they were friends, and then they kind of developed into a relationship. Marie or Marie, Becky. okay. Marie. And so, um, it doesn't really say if that ended. I think it did, but they were still friends. Okay. Um, but instead of finishing high school, Marie wanted to get her GED, so she got it at seven. Um, she got at it seventeen. At... Oh, sorry. I was like. <laughs> I said seven, and I was like, "That's." I had to like pause because like something was not right in that sentence, and I had to like, (laughs) (laughs) "What did did I just say? What did I wait? What did I say that was wrong?" Um, So she got it at seventeen, and then she started staying out late working because she was working at McDonald's, and then she'd like go out with Jordan, and Peggy wasn't happy with that, so there was some tension. Um, Marie, once Marie turned eighteen, Peggy would have let her stay with her, like she didn't. Some foster families, you have to move out when you're eighteen, right? Peggy would have let her stay with her, um, but she wanted her to follow, like, the rules of the house. You have to be Fair home enough. by curfew, yada, yada, yada. Uh, but Marie was ready to kind of be out on her own. So Peggy found a program called the Project Ladder, which was designed to help young adults who had grown up in foster care transition into living on their own. So case managers would show participants, like, how to budget and right. shopping for groceries and handling a credit card and buying insurance and um, provided subsidized housing for each member to getting a one-bedroom apartment. So Marie secured one. She moved into the Elderbrook apartments that, um, and she also got a new job at Costco um, offering food samples to customers. Okay. Uh, and it didn't bother her because or she, it was like six to seven hours on her feet, but she enjoyed like talking to people and interacting right. with people and things like that. Seems to match her person personality. So she is now living on her own in her own apartment. So August 11th, 2008, two Linwood police detectives responded to a report of rape, rape at the Elderbrook Apartments. A couple of other officers were already there protecting the crime scene. There was a canine officer outside. Um, Detective Sergeant Jeffrey Mason and Jerry Ridgarn found the victim, Marie, on a couch in a blanket crying. She was accompanied by her foster mother, Peggy, and by Wayne Nash, her case manager with Project Ladder. Marie told police she'd been talking on the phone much of the night with her friend Jordan. After finally falling asleep, she was awakened by a man with a knife and then tied up, blindfolded, gagged, and raped. The man wore a condom, she believed, as for what her attacker looked like. She could offer, basically, that he was a white man in a gray sweater. The attack seemed to last a long time, but Marie told police that she couldn't say for sure it was all just a blur. Okay. She said that after the rapist left, she had managed with her feet to retrieve some scissors from a cabinet bottom drawer. She cut herself free, then called Jordan. So remember that note. Okay. Uh, when Jordan didn't answer, she called her foster mom, then called her upstairs neighbor who came down and called 911, and that got her case manager. So then police started looking at her apartment. They found the rear glass sliding door was unlocked and slightly ajar. It led to a back porch with a wooden railing that was covered with dirt, except one part about three feet wide where it looked like someone had brushed the surface while climbing over. Okay. 
Um, the officers found a shoestring that on the bed that they believed they used to tie Marie. It was used to tie Marie. On top of a computer, there was a second shoestring tied to a pair of underwear, um, which appeared to be like the blindfold or the gag. Oh, okay. Um, they had come from Marie's black tennis shoes in the living room. Uh, next to the bed was a black handled knife. She said the knife was hers, that it had come from the kitchen and was what the rapist had used to threaten her. The police found Marie's purse on the bedroom floor, her wallet on the bed, and her learner's permit for some reason was removed from her wallet and on a bedroom windowsill. Okay. I can remember that too. Yep. They, the police told her she needed to go to the hospital for sexual assault examination. Her foster mother and her case manager took her to the hospital and the police detectives worked on the scene they looked for a condom or its wrapper. They checked the bathroom trash cans in, nearby hills, in the nearby, like, ground surrounding area, but they didn't have anything. The dog outside had tracked to the south toward an office building, but they weren't able to lead officers to anything that might identify a rapist. Okay. At the hospital, the medical staff you collected more than a dozen swabs from Marie. Labs were taken for hepatitis, chlamydia, and HIV. She received, um, like... Uh, Zithromax, so mm-hmm. yeah, they gave her antibiotics um, for any possibility of being exposed to sexually transmitted diseases. They gave her Plan B, mm-hmm. um, the and the medical report did notice abrasions on Marie's wrists and her vagina. Okay, there was also bruising on her wrist um, on both of her wrists uh, during the exam. The medical report also said that Marie was alert oriented with no acute distress. Okay, on the day that she had reported being raped, she talked to Shannon after getting back from the hospital and Shannon stated that she thought it was weird that she had no emotion. It was telling her like that she like made a sandwich. Like she had called Shannon and told her what had happened and it was like she was just telling her that she was making a sandwich in the kitchen. Like there was no right like distress but which could also in her be voice. like a shock type of thing. Right, but it made Shannon question whether or not Marie had been telling the truth. Fair. Um, When Shannon came to visit her the next day, it just kind of only intensified her doubt that Marie was telling the truth. Uh, Marie wouldn't look her in the eye. It kept acting like nothing was wrong and nothing had happened. Um, She kept going in and, like, moving around in the bedroom that she had apparently been raped in the night before, getting stuff out of it, moving stuff around. Um, Shannon took her to buy new bedding because they had taken it as evidence. And she was mad that she couldn't find the same set. And... Shannon was like, I just find it odd that you'd want the same set of sheets you were raped in. Well, that, and it's like such a menial thing to be so upset about with such a big thing that just happened. Right. Um, Peggy was also confused. She called her on the first day before the police arrived. She was crying and and Peggy couldn't understand her. Her She said her voice was this weird, tiny voice and I couldn't really tell, but it didn't sound real to me. It just sounded like super dramatic. Hmm. Um, Peggy called Shannon to talk to her about her concerns and was surprised when Shannon was like, no, I agree. I'm not sure if she's telling the truth. Oh, so the two women that are closest to her are like, something's up. Okay. So on August 12th, the day after Marie reported being raped, Sergeant Mason got a call from someone who asked to be anonymous, but the caller was Peggy. Okay. And shared, she said, I don't know if Marie's telling the truth, basically. Right, you need to look at this a little bit more because um, something ad- I think is up. In addition, Mason had also received a tip that Marie was unhappy with her apartment, that maybe she was making up the rape to get moved to a new one. 
So, on August 13th, Marie met with Mason at the Linwood Police Station and turned in a written statement describing what had happened. The statement was only one page and very short and brief, um, but Sergeant Mason thought that there was a critical passage that proved there was inconsistencies in her story. So... Her statement was, after he left, I grabbed my phone, which was right next to the head, my head, with my mouth and tried to call Jordan back. He didn't answer, so I called my foster mom. She came right away. I got off the phone with her and tried to untie myself. Before, she had said, yeah. I untied myself. Then, then I called. called. Um, so, later that day, when Mason and Rittergren, the the two sergeants that were in charge of this, mm-hmm. they said that based on Marie's inconsistencies and based on what they had learned from Peggy and Jordan, they now believed that Mary had or Marie had made up the story. Okay. The next morning, Mason went to Jordan's home to interview him. Jordan told the detective that he and Marie had stopped dating a couple months back, but remained good friends. He said nothing. About doubting Marie's story, according to Mason's summary, but he did say that Marie had told him when she tried calling him that morning that she had her toe, had used her toes because she was tied up. So she, so had she told said him, mouth and toes too now. She had just told him that she had used her toes to call him on the phone. Hmm. Okay. So three days after Marie reported being raped, Mason called Marie to ask if they could meet. He asked her to come to the... Come and he said he was going to come and pick her up and take her to the station. And she said, "Well, I'm in. Am I in trouble?" And to Sergeant Mason, he said that in his experience, when someone asked if they were in trouble, they knew that they were. Which I mean, I guess makes sense because if you're if you're genuinely not guilty, I guess you would just be like, "Okay, there must be new information about stuff, or they need to ask me some more questions to be able to get closer to something." Rather than right, did I do something wrong? So then they brought her to the station and interviewed her. And then in Mason's report, he stated that they wasted little time confronting Marie, told him that there were inconsistencies in her statements. Um, Marie said she didn't know of any discrepancies, but she went through the story again, um, saying that she believed the rape had happened. She believed the rape had happened instead of saying it was for certain. Um. Um, She did start crying. She talked about her past, all the foster parents, that she was raped when she was seven, getting her own place, feeling alone. Um, They made her tell her story multiple times and then kept telling her that the evidence didn't match, the stories were inconsistent, um, that they believed that she had made the whole story up, that it was a spur-of-the-moment thing and not something that she planned out. He asked if there was really a rapist running around the neighborhood that the police should be looking for, and she said, no, well, maybe not. And then based on her answers in the body language, they said that she was lying about the rape. Okay. And that was in Rittigren's report. Uh, they didn't read her her rights. They didn't ask if she wanted an attorney. They made Marie write out her true story, admitting she had lied, admitting, in effect, that she had committed a crime. She had to fill out her name, social security number, and then she wrote... Part of it was, I was talking to Jordan on the phone that night about his day and just about anything. After I got off the phone with him, I started thinking about all the things I was stressed out about. And I also was scared living on my own. When I went to sleep, I dreamed that someone broke in and raped me. So now her confession is saying that she had a dream. And it was a dream. And they said that that seemed like it was her trying to mitigate the crime that she committed. Right. This is tough because so far, like, I see both ends of things like it could be something where it did happen and she's like in shock and Mm -hmm. it's not making sense in her own mind let alone having to try to voice it right but also where all these different things it's like how are you supposed to believe what's 
being told when it's changing constantly. Right. Uh, so when the detectives read her statement, they they again began to strenuously question her and uh, kind of almost badger her about like what was going on. And Marie said, I have a lot of stressful things going on and I wanted to hang out with someone and no one was able to. So I made up the story and didn't expect it to go as far as it did. I don't know why I couldn't have done something different. This was never meant to happen. So they took that to be her confession. Mm -hmm. Then they wrote in their report that based on the interview and some of the statements or inconsistencies found, we are confident that Marie was telling us the truth that she had not been raped. She said during the process, she did what she always did when under stress. She flipped the switch, suppressing all feelings and she didn't, that she didn't know what to do with. Which I feel like is a reasonable coping mechanism, especially when you have such a crazy childhood that's like exactly how you have to deal with everything right so then the Uh, next day marie went to her project ladder manager wayne nash and said the police didn't believe her and uh, wayne seeing that she was kind of in jeopardy that it was a legal situation she said she wanted a lawyer so wayne helped her get a lawyer and they reached out to project or sergeant mason who told them that the evidence didn't support marie's story and that she had taken back her story so then But now Marie wouldn't give in. On August 18th, one week after she reported being raped, she met with Project Ladder managers and insisted she had signed that recantation under duress. Um, The three then went to the police station so Marie could recant her recantation. Okay. That, and they, while the program managers waited outside, she had to meet with the sergeants again in the office by herself. And they asked her what was going on. She said she really had been raped, began to cry, saying she was having visions of the man on top of her, that she wanted to take a lie detector desk. Um, They told her that if she took the lie detector test and failed, she would be booked into jail. What's more, he would recommend that Project Ladder pull her housing assistance and Marie back down. So the police officers walked her downstairs where the Project Ladder representatives asked if she had been raped. She said no. After leaving the police station, she learned that she still wasn't through, though. The project ladder managers then made her confess to everybody in the project ladder group. They called everybody into the in, that lived in the apartment buildings together as a whole and made her stand in front of them and tell everyone that she was lying, that she hadn't been raped, that she'd made it up for attention. Basically, so there's no one scared that there was a rapist running around. Which, I mean, I guess makes sense. But then at the same time, it's like, that seems, especially when she's already saying, like, I have my doubts that I wasn't raped. Like, I think I was actually raped. And I think that all this happened. That's just like, so she was thinking, all right, I did it. I'm done. Everything's over and done with. However, then later that month, she got a letter stating that she was wanted in court on charges of reporting a false crime okay um so she had been charged with false reporting punishable by up to a year in jail and that was signed by sergeant mason afterward the paperwork went to a small law firm that linwood had hired to prosecute misdemeanors Uh, so within days of reporting being raped she had quit her job at costco unable to stand there looking at people project ladder gave her a 9 p.m curfew and doubled the number of times she had to meet with staff and check in Uh, The media wrote about Marie being charged without identifying her. Her best friend from high school created a webpage called Marie is a Liar with a photo from Marie's MySpace page with police reports and Marie's full name. What the fuck? So, um... Why? Because... Why? Yeah. Um, so she spiraled. She started smoking, drinking, gaining weight. She shut down 
uh, and she contemplated suicide during this whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, Peggy or Shannon, neither of them, like, abandoned her. They were still there for her, but it was different because Marie knew that they both didn't believe her. Mm-hmm. Um, so then she was brought to court. She was given that deal. She signed the deal and paid her court fees, the $500 in court fees. And that was that's kind of where we're at. Oh. Right. So early October, about two months after being charged and all of the or- ordeal had gone on. Um, <laughs> I tapped this and it was real echoey. Scared me. <laughs> A 63-year-old woman reported being raped inside her condom. 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 <laughs> She got raped inside a condom. She got raped inside her condom. God, that's not funny. Okay, okay, I'm sorry. sorry. Terrible jokes. Um, In her condominium in Kirkland, east of Seattle. The stranger wore gloves. He held a knife. He tied the woman up with her own shoelaces. Took pictures. Threatened to post them on the internet. For the last two or three months, the the woman had told police she felt as if someone had been following her. Shannon saw a news report on the TV. Uh... And her father had been the chief of police in Kent, south of Seattle. And she grew up with the police, trusted police, knew how the police worked. And she went to her computer, computer, looked up the number, and called. to Immediately to alert the Kirkland police to Marie's story to advise them of all the, like, parallels. Mm-hmm. It was the exact same story that Marie had described. And Shannon is the was the original... The, one of her foster yeah. mother that was, like, co-parenting with Peggy. Correct? Right. Okay. And Shannon called Marie and told Marie to contact the Kirkland police. However, Marie was like, uh, uh-uh. not fucking doing that. So here's the thing. Last, last time, time it I cost tra- me a misdemeanor and $500. Right? Like, last time it, like, ruined my reputation. And, right. oh my god, I can't um, even imagine. So a Kirkland detective eventually did call Shannon back. Based on Shannon's tip, Kirkland investigators reached out to the to Lowlandwood police and said, hey, I'm trying to, I heard that there was a, you had an account of this, like, it's very similar to a rape mm-hmm. we've had in our town. However, um, and that the, one of the detectives working the Kirkland case was Audra Weber. Mm-hmm. And she called the Linwood detectives twice. And after being told they didn't believe Marie's account, uh, she just said, I just kind of trusted their judgment in terms of it was their case and they knew the details and I didn't. However, she just, she said she was super shocked to learn that they had actually charged Marie. Because it wasn't like, okay, so I... It wasn't like rape the defamation of charges, character. Yeah, fa- false rape charges when you're saying, hey, this person raped me, and then you come out and say, mm-hmm. actually, they didn't after you've already, like, that. destroyed their life. Then you should be prosecuted. But this girl hadn't accused anyone. Yeah. So it's, it's like a different scenario. I mean, it's still and not do, okay if it was false it rape. It should have been... More of like an obstruction because it was taking time out of other cases that may have right. actually and I get happened. That, but it was just kind. Of, I was even this cop was like extremely shocked. It's a little. It's a little much. It's a little much. Right. So that. Oh, I forgot to tell you guys. This is a two-parter. Oh, okay. All right. So this is the conclusion. This is where I'm leaving you for this two-part. Okay. However, I do have a couple of. Kind of like tidbit fact things. Okay. So Sergeant Mason, um, who was had spent, he's 39 when this is going on, had spent most of his years in a patrol in narcotics. 
His longest law enforcement stint had been with a small police department in Oregon, where he had served for almost nine years and received a Medal of Valor. He was hired by Linwood in 2003 and served on a narcotics task force. He was promoted to sergeant and then transferred to the Criminal Investigations Division only six weeks before the report of Marie's assault. Oh, so this was like one of his first cases of... Right. He had previously only worked one or two rape cases, and he was still the lead in this case. So Detective Rittergren had been with the department for 11 years, the last four as a detective. He had previously worked as a technician in an aerospace industry. Before that, he had served in the Marine Corps, specializing in helicopter um, avionics. Okay. So he also had no history or no training in handling a rape case. Uh, Uh, The Linwood Police Department had 79 sworn officers serving a city of 34,000 people. Uh, And in 2008, Marie's case was one of 10 rape reports the department fielded with so few in the uh, Criminal Investigations Division who did not have a separate crimes unit. Oh, wow. Sex crimes unit. So it's a lot like with um, the Candyman when Mm -hmm. there was just not enough bodies to go around to all the different crimes and what piss but what pisses me off about this whole situation and will piss you off by the end of it i'm just gonna go out because it's obvious she was actually raped well right yeah so um well and that's it's one of those cases of like you can't judge how someone's gonna react that's what i'm gonna happen to right now so by the yeah. time that marie was raped this is 2008 this is early 2000s there's already been protocols put in place for years on how to correctly handle a sexual assault report mm-hmm. Um, specialists had already developed protocols that recognized the challenges and sensitivities of investigating rape cases. This is right from the report. Mm-hmm. Um, the rape cases, these guidelines available to all police departments detailed common missteps. Investigators, one should not assume that a true crime victim or a true victim, <laughs> true crime victim, a true victim will be hysterical rather than calm able to show clear signs of physical injury, and certain of every detail. Some victims confuse fine points or even recant. Nor should police get lost in stereotypes, believing, for example, that an adult victim will be more believable than an adolescent. Police should not interrogate victims or threaten to use a polygraph device. Lie detector tests are especially unreliable with people who have been traumatized and can Mm -hmm. destroy the victim's trust in law enforcement. Many states actually bar police from using them with rape victims. Yep. Well, so I mean, it lo- all of that was known, yeah, and it- in place when she reported the rape. <sighs> so, okay, well, I'll leave you on a cl- like just blue ball you right now because there's so much more details. There's so much more to this story, and I'm so excited to tell you for next episode. Huh? I'm gonna say this bitch, huh? Yeah, you're gonna say this bitch a lot. Sweet. So that's the story for now. Okay, okay. It's kind of like... It's really interesting. It's interesting, and I was really, like, drawn into it. My my first draft of this whole thing was 27 pages. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's, that's a lot. I'm going to bring it down. So there's, like, so much more, like, interesting facts, like what I just read throughout the whole article. Uh-huh. And it's, it's a super interesting the, read. I would recommend. I would highly recommend it. So... Oh. Interesting. All right. I look forward to the next part. Oh, thank you. Good jobs. Thank you. You're welcome. Are you ready to tell me a story, Amanda? I am. That voice sounded weird. I am. 
I was talking about mine. What? Your voice? Are you going to sing me your story? I'm going to tell you the story. No, no, I'm not. Um, This is the story of a girl. Quite a river and drown the whole world. Sorry. Ready? Sometimes songs come into my head and I have to sing them. Otherwise, they get stuck in my brain. I mean, you don't have to sing them, but you choose to sing them. No, because if I don't sing them, then they get stuck in my brain forever. Then, then sing like, it later when it's in a more appropriate time. No, because then it's stuck in my head until I sing it. I have to release exactly. it. Exactly. I don't want it stuck in my head. It drives me crazy. At work the Se- other day. It's selfish of you to I sing had- it out loud and make everybody else get it stuck in their head. It's fine. Yesterday, or two days ago at work, I had, there was an old man named Michael Finnegan. He had whiskers on his chin again. One blew off, but they grew in again. Or a Michael Finnegan begin again. Yeah. Yeah. Glad you're saying that out loud. You're welcome. I'm going to tell you the story. <laughs> I'm just going to move past it. Otherwise, you're going to keep telling me different songs that have been stuck in your head in the last week. And then everybody's going to be like, what the fuck is happening right now? So I'm just going to go on and be like, hey, I'm changing the subject. I'm going to tell you about Pazuzu Algarad. Talking about, speaking of Pazuzu Algarad, let me <laughs> tell you the story. <laughs> Algarad. It's like Algarad or Algarad. I Pazuzu is his name? Isn't that yes. the name of a demon, Pazuzu? Yes. Let me get into it. Are you it. telling me about a demon? No. Oh, this is an actual human. I mean, if you listen to the story, find out. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you anything else because then it ruins the story. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes you're really aggressive when I'm just asking simple questions and it hurts my feels. Okay. So here's the thing. Every time I ask a question or I guess anything, you yell at me because you're ruining it. You always say that what's going to happen. So I'm telling you. I'm not telling you what's going to happen. You just need to listen. Listen to me. hear that aggression, listeners? Listen to me. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm listening. Are you sure? Now that I've been lectured, yes. Sometimes. You just want to punch me right in the mouth? One day I'm going to do it. You're going (laughs) to really regret having a fucking attitude with me. One day you're going to catch these hands. (laughs) real. I'm not, I'm not even going to contain it anymore. It's just going to like, bam! <laughs> like, what the fuck? I'm like, shut your fucking mouth or I'll shut it for you! <laughs> shut your goddamn mouth. Okay. Uh, you do go. things to be annoying when I call you out, you get even more annoying. <laughs> okay, so he was born John Lawson on August 12th of 1978. So it's funny because it's I read that and John Lawson is like a one of my family members' names and I was like, ew. Excuse me, John. Ew. We need to have a talk. But born John Lawson on August twelfth of seventy eight to Cynthia and Timothy Lawson in San Francisco. Um, as a family, they eventually moved to North Carolina, and the couple divorced in nineteen ninety. There's not a lot of like big information about his childhood, so I just skimmed through what I could find. Uh, John, the son, obviously, it gets confusing just because he does go by Pazuzu when he's an adult, so then when I'm trying to explain it... It's so fucking weird! You'll see, it's like a whole thing. What a fucking nerd! (laughs) So, John and Cynthia continued to live in their um, house in Clements, North Carolina, that they lived in when they moved to the state. 
Um, whereas his father moved back to San Francisco as, after they divorced. So he moved back to where his family was and they stayed in North Carolina, mm-hmm. his mom and him. So John, AKA Pazuzu. <laughs> right. I can't, I can't with that fucking I know. name. Um, never told the same story about his upbringing. So it was kind of hard to like pin down exactly what happened in his upbringing. Uh, a few things that he said that were not true, that has been proven to be not true, was that he had a father who had died, that he was born in Iraq, that his father was a traveling priest. Just making um, shit up. Yeah, he was a, a bit of a tall tale teller, like he would stretch things and make things seem more dramatic than they were just for attention's sake or a good story. I bet he told ladies he had a 10-inch dick. 10-inch dick. <laughs> Which uh, sounds terrible. I'm sorry, but like, don't hey, don't fucking cut me in half. Thanks. <laughs> I don't want to fuck a log. Hey, hey ouch! <laughs> I just sit on a fucking Pepsi can. No, thank you. Okay, so <laughs> not bill approved. <laughs> hey, Susan, it's not bill approved. <laughs> if you didn't catch that already by the dicking talk I talked about earlier, <laughs> getting a good dicking. <laughs> When your dick a- when your dick appointment cancels, oh, it's the worst, dude. This is so inappropriate. This apple pie is real kicking in now. I'm sure it is because you're actually drinking it now, and now that it's not your turn to talk, you shut the fuck. It's up. gonna be your turn anyway. Sometimes I feel like you don't even like me. Sometimes I feel like you don't. You just want me here. That's it. You don't want me to say anything. You, you want to tell a story? That's because that's the truth. Oh, that's unfortunate. I'm fucking kidding. It's. I mean, it's whatever. You're it's fine. It's fine. I like your stories. So you always have excellent storytelling abilities and stories. So basically, he's a liar. That's where I we're just at. Gave you a compliment. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, Cynthia said that John was an emotional child, and he was kind of known to be different, like an outcast. You know, he did his own thing, didn't really give a shit if people wanted to be with him or not, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, which, I mean, good for him in a sense. But she also said that she does remember that he was caught torturing animals a couple times in his childhood. I'm sorry. Yeah. Wait, you don't just nonchalantly say, well, he was like a loner, but I mean, there were that couple of times that he was torturing animals that we got. Like, that's not... Well, and that's exactly it. Fucking is it's... red flag, Susan, or whatever so your goddamn name Cynthia. is. Cynthia. Oh. Cynthia. Don't say Susan. That's my mom's name. That's my go-to mom Do name. Do not. That's my go-to mom name when I can't think of whoever is, like, the name of a mom. I just go, Susan. Do not tarnish. Don't tarnish the, <laughs> the name of Susan. The glory. Susan or Linda. Those are my two mom names Well, that's because that the, they're the moms in your life they're right now. Mo- they're my moms. Mama <laughs> Barsness and Mama Nielsen. So, um, when he was, like, a younger child, so, like, preteens and stuff, that's when he was having... Being caught doing just random stuff. It didn't say any details on what it was, so I don't know if it was, like, not super intense, like, I'm skinning cats and wearing it as a hat. You know what I mean? Like wearing it as a hat. It was probably stupid stuff, like, throwing a cat around or throwing a, you know, like... It's not stupid. It's not okay, but I'm saying it's not necessarily something that's, like, super dark and morbid. Yeah. Okay. Um... <clears throat> anyway, and then, like, when he got to be teens, he did start getting into drugs and alcohol and falling kind of down into that, like, spiral of issues. 
So she took him to a psychiatrist because Cynthia was like, obviously something's not right. So she took him to a psychiatrist and tried to get him some therapy. He was diagnosed with agoraphobia, a.k.a. fear of public places that are filled with people. So, like, social anxiety, in a sense. Me too, kid. Yeah. And then along with manic depression and schizophrenia. So he had, like, a whole... Whole list of... Yeah. Well, I think agoraphobia goes along with, like, depression and schizophrenia. Well, it definitely exacerbates each other. Um. So she began bringing him to therapy on a regular basis, but couldn't afford to keep doing it as much as she was. So it ended up kind of falling by the wayside and she had to pull him out because mm-hmm. bills, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was about when, about this time is when John actually dropped out of high school. So he was in his like later years of high school and he changed his name to Pazuzu Elgarad. Elgarad? That's not a name. That's a sneeze. It's a sound you make when you sneeze. Oh, bless you. Pazuzu. And became a devoted Satanist. Oh, that's why his name is Pazuzu. Got heavy into drugs and he would deal them as well. Oh. Uh, Pazuzu was the king of demons in some mythologies and is also the demon that was named in the exorcist. Yeah. Which I was like, oh. And it's the Ouija board demon too. Yeah. Except he goes by Zozo when he's on the Ouija board. Yeah. Um, and he talked often of his counterculture practices now, which included sacrificing animals and having supernatural powers. He, he claimed that he could like change the weather. He could do all these things with his fucking mind. Um, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) And I just want to say that sacrificing animals is way counterculture. Yeah. Like (laughs) Like, that's, that's not, that's not okay at all. I'm just, I don't, okay. Let's, he, you're, first of all, you're a fucking nerd. I'm just gonna lay that out there. You're fucking, you're a fucking nerd. <laughs> you're not changing the weather with your mind. Yeah. So, it, he filed his teeth down into fangs. <laughs> yep. All of his teeth were like, it was like a He's moving into teeth. dork status real quick. <laughs> oh yeah, he got face tattoos. Oh, he split his tongue. Calm down, Post Malone. Um... Oh, he's an interesting-looking fellow. I'll show you at the end. Oh, for Christ's sake. And at 1998, so this would be when he was 20 years old, uh, his mother married Jonathan Larry James, which I thought sounded like a serial killer name. Oh, faux show. Um, three Jonathan first names. Larry, first of all, he has three first names. That's, uh-huh. It's a, it's clear sign. You're deaf a serial killer. It's like pouring milk before you pour your cereal. Um, which Melissa does. Melissa, Melissa, I'm calling you now. Calling you out. You're deaf a serial killer. You're killing all the people, everybody. Mm-hmm. Everybody. It. Called it. I could tell from your glorious makeup skills. <laughs> and uh, all three of these people, so mom, new husband, and Pazuzu, lived in the same house because I think, obviously, because he got into drugs and stuff, he was a bit of a, I don't want to say mooch, but like, and because of his mental health, his mom was really nervous to leave him to his own devices, you know, because mm-hmm. he obviously had his issues and she'd rather be, this is where I'm like, Cynthia, you're, I mean, as Why much is your as your son not committed, he's yeah. calling himself Pazuzu, calling it the d- demon king of the underworld and believes he could change his mind with the weather. Right. But his, it's like, she has the best intentions, but I feel like it was not well taken care of. Yeah. I just, so, I'm not. Okay. 
Right. All three of them lived in Winston, North Carolina. At some point, Cynthia and her new husband moved out, but they left the house for Pazuzu to live in so that Cynthia could still... I know, I'm sorry. I can't say John because he doesn't go by John now. I feel like you just need to call him John. I can't. I can't. So he lived in the house and... Cynthia kind of liked that because she was able to, like, stop in and kind of check in on him and knew that he had a place where he was living. He wasn't just out on the street, you know. So on occasion, she would just show up and make sure that he wasn't falling off the train, right? Like, killing animals in the living room and shit? No, like, because of his mental health, she wanted to make sure he was eating, that he was, you know, doing all the things to keep himself alive and not, like, yeah. Just not doing things that may be an issue. Okay. So she was also trying to give him some freedom at that time, too, because she's just like, well, he. Just keep talking. I can't hear anything. Well, you didn't hear it. I do, too. Because then I don't know where my volume's out in my, like, when I'm talking. Because then I'm, maybe I'm talking like this. You know? Anyway, so she was trying to give him freedom as well since he was an adult and she wanted to give him that chance to kind of a prove himself. Of freedom kind of thing. Yeah. Pazuzu <laughs> had an obsession with Charles Manson. Awesome. And how he had gained a group of people to follow him. So in about 2002, he decided that he was going to create his own religion, which was a mix of Luciferianism and um, Islam. So this was 2002. Yeah. No, okay. exactly. Just picking two random religions out of a hat. and So from everything that I, I've read and that I've heard, he basically chose the two things that freaked people out the most. And this was right the year after 9-11. So Islam, everybody was like, oh my God. Oh. Yeah. Okay. And Luciferianism, like anything Satanist right. driven, is freaks people out. So it doesn't seem like he really followed the teaching of either of them. He kind of just blamed that they were a thing. Something to just say that scared yeah. people. So now for followers, he surrounded himself with outcasts and mis- misfits, most of these being meth heads and like heroin addicts. It's a good group. Um, he also tried to find people who would be easily molded. So people that had no self-worth, maybe with own- their own like mental issues and maybe developmentally delayed, like pretty much just anybody he can kind of get to trust him and follow what he says. Yeah. Uh, Inviting them and allowing them to basically do whatever they wanted in the house. Plus, and plus the fact that he had um, this sense of like unpredictability to him, which people who have such self-destructive characteristics in their life seem to be drawn to Mm -hmm. because he had like this like flip a switch type of attitude right uh there were also a lot of people that were in and out of the house they would come and then they'd leave and then they'd show up again and it was kind of a rotating door of revolving door of different people so no one really knew who was where and what and what was happening and how exactly (laughs) So some things that they said would go on there were like doing drugs, drinking the blood of birds, cutting themselves and each other, and they just chilled around was another quote. That's not a thing. That's not... 
Exactly. This is what I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> just casual, you know. Just drinking the blood of birds. And a quote from, from one of the- avian flu. Right? <laughs> uh, a quote from one of the friends that was in the house. There was no rules. You could piss on the carpet. You could smash a hammer into the TV. You could hit someone over the head with a beer bottle. It just didn't whoa, matter. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> like, nobody did anything. Or there was no, like, parameters to, like, okay, don't be fucking up my TV. Go to the bathroom in the bathroom. Honestly, I think that they had the water shut off because he wasn't paying his utilities. And they just started, like, pissing everywhere. So it's important to note that he was a known liar. Like I talked about, he kind of, like, stretched the truth, told a lot of different stories. I didn't catch what you said. And I thought you said he was a Bill Nyer. (laughs) I was like, I'm sorry. I'm going to need you to explain what a Bill Nyer is. You're right. You should get some more apple pie. Bill Nye, the science guy. Bill, Bill. You know, some people talk, like, think about sex. Some people think about other stuff when they drink. Christina just thinks about Bill Nye. She makes Bill Nye out of anything. I thought you said he was a real Bill Nye. And I'm like, I'm going to need you to pause and explain to me what a Bill Nye is. Because I don't fucking know. I just got to say, I said known liar. (laughs) So that's, like, I hear the errs part, but Bill Nye, that's in your brain. (laughs) So... Don't be coming at me with this it makes sense business. <laughs> I swear to God. I swear to God, I want to go back and listen. It sounded like you said he's a real Bill Nyer. You'll have to listen to it when you're editing. Oh, God. <laughs> so, no one really took him seriously. Okay. Everybody was like, I mean, he makes up stories all the time. So, anything he says, they kind of just like, okay, Pazuzu, whatever. Whatever, Bill Nye. Yeah. Bill Nye, huh? At least you're not laughing about Pazuzu, I guess. I'm still laughing about that. So, he would say things like, Oh, I killed this person. I chopped him up. I ate him. Da 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 da. Tell all these stories. I buried him in the backyard. Like, all this stuff, thinking. Because he also liked to scare people and make them uncomfortable. So, everybody was just like, Okay, dude. Um, okay, Stephen Barnhart. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Being a real Stephen Barnhart about it. And uh, no one's going to know unless you went to Kenyon High School. Right. And everybody basically just rolled their eyes at him. Mm-hmm. They're like, okay, whatever. Okay. Puzuzu was pretty popular with the ladies. <laughs> Mostly because he was the leader of this like group that was in and out of that thing. So maybe he did have a 10 inch dick. He had, I mean, he might have. I don't know. Didn't say anything about his dick. <laughs> Um, he had a lot of female followers and he would also sleep with them and call him his fiancés. He had like three of them at the end of his like cult, I guess is the best way to put it. He's not attractive at all. So (laughs) he seemed to get around anyway. He would basically sleep with whomever he wanted to, but his like chosen followers were his fiancés. Uh, taking advantage of the fact that these women idolized him and for whatever reason, like, wanted to please him and wanted to get on his good side so that's cool very charles manson of you some well he idolized manson i know some more claims by pazuzu were that he bathed once a year ew that he didn't brush his teeth ew um and i've looked at pictures he was banging chicks left and right dude stank i don't want to even talk about it he's just left and right just laying pipe all over town and hadn't showered in a year. Can you imagine he, a dick cheese? Girl, you don't even know yet. Oh, God. 
Um, so I've seen pictures of him, and that might be accurate. Ew, that's so gross. Um, in the house, there was human waste all over the place. It kind of seemed like he just shit. Like people just shit in corners of the rooms. There's shit. From sh- legit, and then they like pee on the, on the floor. floor. What is that movie? What is it? There's shit all over the walls. No, that's Dumb and Dumber, but isn't it uh, Ted? Mila Ted. Kunis. There's a shit, shit on my floor. There's a shit on my floor. There's a human shit on my floor. <laughs> <laughs> um, just kind of like relaying the fact that there were no rules in the house. People kind of did whatever they wanted to, and he was like, "Whatever, dude." Live like that. Um, other than, um, I'm sorry. And you know what? And the followers did pretty much the same thing as him. Like, they idolized him, so they also wouldn't bathe. Ew. And wouldn't brush oh, their teeth. So uh, they had... It, it, I can't even imagine the smell. I'm like... <laughs> I can't get over just the idea of there being, like... It's just like a house of a... Like a bathroom. Like That's, a toilet. I, like, just living in a giant's toilet. Um, would people, when people would come over, they would always, like, if it was the first time coming over, they would always comment on the smell of the house, and Pazuzu would tell them that it was the bodies in the basement trying to be scary. There's actual bodies in the basement, huh? Not necessarily. Ew. In May of 2010, so this is eight years after he started this, like, cult people coming in and like i don't want to say safe house but basically like you can come in and do drugs you can do whatever you want to in this house also before we can we just pause for a second and mm-hmm. imagine being invited to this house for the first time with one of your friends and you walk in and just slowly back up where's the bathroom just everywhere just go wherever you want you just want me to shit on the floor yeah not comfortable with that i don't want to i don't I don't want to do that. <laughs> Gonna be honest, Christine, I would not get far enough to be asking about the bathroom. I'd walk in the room and then I'd be like that Simpson fucking gift. Disappear into the bushes. <laughs> just slide or away. Like, what if you come over for a barbecue so you've never been in the house? And you go, I gotta go to the bathroom. Just go inside. You walk inside and there's just shit. <laughs> oh my god, I'd hate every moment of that day. Of my life. I'd be like, I wish I could rewind and never show up. I'm Gross. so hot. I'm sorry. It's because it's cause you just drank that whole glass of apple pie. You take a sip or two before you tell your story. I start my story. You chug the glass. That is fucking like a hundred proof alcohol. You don't need more because in about ten minutes you're gonna be going <laughs> and you know it. You're already pouring sweat. So in 2010, <laughs> am I am I wrong? <laughs> Yo, I'm so sweaty right now. <laughs> in uh, May of 2010, Cynthia came by to take a little looky-loo, is what I wrote. Oh, she's going to be so mad when she goes in the house. Um, they got into an argument. I'm assuming that it was about the like state of the house. The shit all over the walls. And Pazuzu strangles his mother until she passes out. I'm... Yeah. I'm sorry. They get in an argument and he fucking strangles her till she passes out. Um, when she woke up, she called the police and Pazuzu was arrested. Uh, but Cynthia didn't want to necessarily press charges because <sighs> I know, I know. And Cynthia. It's, but it's because she's like, he has all these issues. Like, I, I saw the signs of him getting to a point, you know, whatever. Basically, hate to say it, but being a bit of a, what is it called when you're like, 
allowing someone to be a terrible human and in fact like not doing anything to help enabler. them. Enabler. Yeah. Being a bit of an enabler. So anywho, he was arrested and Cynthia didn't want to press charges. The house, though, there was just so much all over the walls. Like I looked there's pictures of it. There's Ew. like ramblings written all over the walls, posters, so just... magazine articles, cutouts of satanic things. Um, there's smears of blood, human and animal. Ew. Yeah, and feces on top of that with the floor and stuff. In 2011, which this was in May of 2010, so probably like a year later. In 2011, he was arrested in the connection of a shooting of a guy named John Chandler. Who was found dead by a river where Pazuzu claimed to do magical rituals and sacrifices. Um, the night that the man was shot, it was a full moon. And that was another claim that Pazuzu would say is that that's when he did sacrifices by that river is during full moons. Okay. I guess Joe was literally just out, like he was outside about to light a cigarette and was fucking shot. Like he was just there Cigarettes going for a walk. Kill you, man. Went to light a cigarette and got shot by a gun. Um, Cigarettes will kill you. But this was a bullet that killed him. So, <laughs> But he was outside to smoke and that's what killed him. Yeah, but the nice thing about cigarettes is... They'll kill you slow. You no, know, I was thinking <laughs> when you quit, your lungs are able to regenerate themselves as long as you're young enough to... When you quit, they help. Cleans it out. Anyway, <laughs> so Pazuzu was with two other people and his... Friend was allegedly the one who actually shot the gun. His name was Nicholas. He got involuntary manslaughter, got charged with it, and Pazuzu got accessory after the fact of involuntary manslaughter and was only sentenced to probation. So he was there. He didn't actually shoot the gun, but he may have been the one who, like, told him to shoot the gun. Yada, yada, yada. You know, all those weird ins and outs. But when Pazuzu was arrested for this, though, he was given a psych psychiatric evaluation and somehow this was released to the media and got out in the public so they all this information was put out into the world and it made so everybody wondered why he was on probation like it was shown that he had choked his mother until she passed out that he confessed to drinking blood that he confessed to never ba bathing and doing drugs and doing all this other stuff in this psychiatric evaluation, and yet they still gave him probation, probation for five like, years and kept him out in the public. Instead of, like, putting him into a psychiatric exactly. facility. Yep. The back of my neck is really sweaty. I don't know why you chugged that last bit. You're gonna be drunk. It's really sweaty. <laughs> you might already be drunk. It might be. So, the next character to be entered, character to be entering this story is Josh Welzer. Or Weltzer, I guess. Okay. Uh, he was one of the people that came in and out of this house. He was a bit of a hippie, and he had a son with his ex-girlfriend. She says that he started doing drugs pretty regularly and then began disappearing on a regular basis. So it wasn't unusual when he did disappear. The last time he was seen was July of 2009 by his ex, and she reported him missing six months later when he missed Christmas. Because she's like, it wasn't unusual for him to just, like, take off and then come back after a few months. And then, but he would never miss, like, a birthday or Christmas or any big holiday. Okay. Um, 
<clears throat> she also heard a rumor from the group that he was running around with that Pazuzu had claimed that he had killed Josh and put him in his backyard. So she went to the cops with this information and told them all about the rumors that she had heard. But that's not all. There was another missing guy at this time, too, named Tommy Welch. He had no known drug issues. He didn't run with the crowd that was in this house. He was at his brother's for the day. And then he planned to come back for a movie night after he went and did some errands. Okay. And when he didn't return, the family was concerned because it was really out of character. He was always very, like, open and communicate. Like, he would he communicate. He never would disappear. Yeah. Like, he was... Exactly. So he was reported missing in October of 2009. So all of this is in 2009, these two missing people, right? Which... 2011 was when he was arrested for, um, what was it? Strangling his Yeah, mom. when he was arrested for strangling his mother. No, for the shooting. Oh, for the shooting. Okay. For the shooting. So this all happened a couple of years before he was even arrested. Like, people were disappearing. Now, here's what happened to these guys, okay? Oh. Josh was kidnapped by Pazuzu. Wait, is it about to get real graphic? Um, somewhat, I mean, it's definitely not as bad as other things that I've said. Okay. Josh was kidnapped by Pazuzu and kept in his basement, chained up and starved. <gasps> then Josh was shot six times by Pazuzu with a shotgun. So it's not even a small oh. shell. Um, following this, Pazuzu and his fiancés dismembered Josh and buried him in the backyard. Josh was, um... Da, 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 da. After uh, about a month later, they wanted another sacrifice for the next full moon because this was a sacrifice for the full moon. What a fucking nerd. And did the exact same thing to Tommy, basically. Ew. They. Ugh, I just can't even. So all of his outlandish claims that he was saying weren't necessarily so. So it made everybody go, wait a fucking second. So one of the followers decided that he needed to talk to the police about Pazuzu. And this was right before his arrest and everything, or, or after he was arrested and put on probation, right? Um, because he, his behavior was becoming even more erratic than it had been. He had been talking about wanting to find more human sacrifices and kill more people at once for a bigger sacrifice. So this is when the police came to search the property officially, like got a search warrant, came in, looked around. They said that it smelled terrible and the cleanliness of the place was absolutely terrible mm -hmm. but they didn't find anything that would link him to these murders physically at the time so they couldn't do any more than just leave basically and be like right. you need to clean up your shit because this is a hazardous thing right tips continued to come in about these stories but it seemed like they couldn't be true even cynthia had called in telling a story about the different rumors she had heard but they all went ignored for years and years, and finally in October of 2014, 14, six years after these murders happened, they obtained another warrant the fuck? Okay. to go back, and it gave them rights to search in the yard where the um, okay. rumors had come. It said that that's where they were buried, and they found the skeletal remains of Josh and Tommy, Pazuzu and his two fiancés, Amber Nicole Birch and Crystal Matlock, were arrested for these murders. Then, in April of 2015, 
the house was demolished because basically, so basically Cynthia was given 30 days to like clean up the house, right? Yeah. And if she wasn't going to, then it became condemned and they had to demolish it. And, but in the like report for this and why they had to get it cleaned up so that they could prove that there was all these different things with it. It said there was broken glass everywhere, sharp instruments, AKA needles, um, thousands of flies, decaying animal bodies, another like mini cages with animal bodies like (gasps) dead and decaying in them. Uh, blood and feces on the walls and on the floors. Ew. Um, there was mold that had been growing throughout the house because of all of the like hu- human waste that was everywhere. Yeah. Um, so they ended up demolishing it. On October 25th of 2015, Pazuzu killed himself. <gasps> before his trial. How? I don't know. I don't know how. I don't, don't, I don't, I didn't. Why was that my first question? That was really gruesome. How? How did he die? Wait, but how did he kill himself? (laughs) Yeah. No, I'm not sure. I guess I didn't even, like, look into it. Okay. I just was reading um, that he committed suicide. Right? There are a lot of, there's a lot of ongoing speculation that he may have killed more people, considering that this was in 2009 and he didn't even get arrested until 14. He got away with it. I don't know why he wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So there are women who knew Pazuzu and were sleeping with him that said that he confessed to them that he had killed two sex workers and burned their bodies and buried the ashes in the backyard too. But honestly, who really knows at this point? And the fact that he's dead, there's no like figuring out why, why? or yeah. what happened exactly. So it's, I mean, it's not super, like, satisfying ending, but I thought it was a really interesting story. It is. No, that's... I mean... Ew. And it's relatively recent, like... Yeah. Well, I can't why believe I it, had never heard of it. Why was he out roaming around, and why did it take them so long to get a warrant? Well, and that's, it's like, I don't know but if I maybe they... I also suppose, like, when you're doing an investigation like that, and you don't have, like, a shit ton of stuff to go on, you you want to be very careful about how you're approaching it so you don't fuck up the investigation and, and get, get everything off on a thrown out yeah but well and that's i'm sure it's kind of something to do with that and since it was just rumors you can't get a warrant on rumors they have to have some sort of evidence of wrongdoing to get it so yeah. when they got the first warrant they went in and they're like holy shit this is gross but also not much we can do about it at this second so clean it up right we can't arrest you for having a fucked up property yeah like, we need proof of couldn't they have done animal cruelty or something? That's You would think so, but I don't know if in... They just passed a law on that, so I don't think it was... Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if in 2009, if it was as bad as it was in 2014 when they went back into... Oh, yeah. It might have been just the feces and stuff, but he might have, like, spiraled into this other junk, too. Ew. Um, But yeah, so it's... That's gross. It's gross, I just thought it was interesting. Not a lot of meat, but kind of cool. No, I mean, not cool, but story. weird. Mm-hmm. I liked it. I mean, I don't, you know what I mean. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, not cool, but and you're like, I liked it. No, well, I didn't like it. I didn't but... like it, but you know what I mean. You know. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean. So that's the story of Pazuzu. <laughs> Stupid fucking name. Fucking Pazuzu. Who the hell is like, I'm just going to be Pazuzu. I'm going to go from John. 
John's just too common. What name should I name myself? Hmm. I know. <laughs> That's it. The king of demons. Pazuzu. Pazuzu. I feel like we're saying it a lot. We're saying Pazuzu a lot. Pazuzu. Pazuzu. You're in my apartment. Don't say it too much. Don't fucking summon the king of demons. Uh, but that's it. That's all I got about this. About John Lawson. John Lawson. 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 Ugh. That was a good story. Good job. Hey, thanks. My other one's even shorter, so. Mine's not, so. And we're gonna go to part D. D. Now. Yeah, we are. Follow. Follow, like, rate, comment, subscribe, share. Just keep doing what you're doing, guys. Spread yourself. Spread the word. <laughs> Sorry, wait. You said it backwards, drunk I said drunk it backwards, and now it's weird. Spread the word. Spread, spread yourselves. yourselves. And, uh... Have a good day. I almost said have a Merry Christmas. <laughs> Happy late Valentine's Day. Fuck that, man. Valentine's Day. Fuck it, man. Shit. All right. I'm going to close this up before you go into more drunken ramblings, You're huh? You're so rude. I'm not rude. I'm just oh, honest. Might be. Wine, wine, wine. <laughs>